just lift you up. We lift you up. You are great and mighty. You give us breath and life and love. God, all the praise and glory and honor go to you today. God, I know as I was singing this song, it was convicting my heart that sometimes my breath is given from you but not used to glorify you. So, God, I just ask for forgiveness. Lord, that these songs that we convict our hearts, that they would purify our souls, that we may give you glory and honor with a clean heart and know that we are yours forever, that you give us breath and you give us life so that we can use it to give life and breath to those around you, to show them who you are, to be the face of Christ to those around us. Lord, thank you for life. Thank you for breath. Thank you for love and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Good morning. I've got some volume today. All right. Cool, cool. Well, how's everybody doing? Awesome, awesome. If, uh, if we haven't met, my name's Josh. I'm the uh, children's minister, a.k.a. the ringleader, a showman, the zookeeper, whatever you want to call it. But uh, we have a lot of fun. So whether it was we're in a gym in a school or now we've got this great room over there, you know, we love loving on the kids and letting them know that Jesus loves them. So it, it's pretty exciting. So we got a great group over there. And I'm excited to be in here today because, uh, you know, today is a lot easier than last week. So I'm excited because last week was a lot of fun. Um, we talked about husbands and wives and different things like that. So number one, I'm excited to be back. You know, so number two, today's got me really stoked. Uh, I mean, today has me really stoked. But before we start, I got to ask, um, by a show of hands, I need a little participation. Look. It's 10 in the morning. We're awake now, all right? So I need a little participation by a show of hands. Who here has ever found themselves in a situation that you perhaps would not have chosen for yourself? Yeah, maybe. Who here has found themselves in a situation, perhaps not a, a bad situation, but you're looking around saying, how did I get here? Show of hands, everybody, right? I'm having one of those situations in my life right now, all right? And I think that some of you might relate. So is anybody, uh, anybody vegan? Um, you don't have to show of hands here. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But uh, my wife this past week has decided that we're going to try to go vegan. Um, you know, again, I found myself in a situation that I have not necessarily chosen to put myself in. Y'all know that vegan is no animal byproducts. So cheese, no. Eggs, no, right? Meat, no. So, you know, I I'm, going, I'm going through this, okay? I'm going through this. Y'all pray for me. I'm going through this. So one of the recipes, it was made by a chef. I guarantee you all have heard of this chef. I guarantee somewhere, somehow, you guys have either eaten or fed somebody this from this chef. She made this potato soup, right? It was this potato soup. It was delicious. Let me tell you something, Dell. It was in the it was in the Instapot. 
That's how you know. When something's in the Instant Pot and it's done right, it's, ah, right? Right? It's in the Instant Pot. It's great. You know, I don't know how it does it, but it takes like eight hours of work and puts it in 30 minutes. It's the greatest thing since the microwave. So it's really cool. So we get it out. She gets it out. She's all excited. She's like, man, you got to try this. She puts, I see her at the kitchen. You know, she's over here working. And I, I promise you, all I see is veggies and things in the air. And she's <laughs> cutting up. Spring on a cilantro on the bowl. Very proud. Walks right over to me. Puts it right on the table. You know the chef that prepared this? Gerber. <laughs> Orange consistency of baby food. Not going to lie. I, I, I ate it. It was so tasty. I got to be honest with you. It was really, really good. But the texture, it was Gerber. I promise. It was like she put Gerber in the Instapot and then said, look, honey, I made this all day. You know, like, and then like, that was like a moment in my head, like maybe this whole vegan thing is a joke. Like maybe this is like, she's pranking me and this has just gone too far, too long. Um, but then, no, the next night, seriously, we had like rice noodles and tofu and different things. First time I ever had tofu, it wasn't bad. Um, it, it was pretty good, but, you know, it wasn't bacon, you know. So no more at my house, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. That's not a thing anymore. We say wakey, wakey, rice noodles and tofu. Um, ha happy to see you. Uh, so exciting stuff. I will say, though, as crazy as it sounds, as tough as it has been so far not to cheat, when I'm hungry and like being hungry all the time because my body's adjusting, I have noticed like I feel lighter, like lighter after eating and stuff. But that's, you can't to lose any more weight, I didn't say like weight wise, you know how if you eat a heavy meal, you know, like, I mean, but anyway, I feel healthier and it's exciting. And that part, you know, I have cheated just so you know, the other day I had some chicken, chicken, you know. So, and, and I told her, I was like, look, I'll be, I'm going to be like one of those on the fence vegans, you know, like, I'm not quite sure, but my wife does it. So, okay. You know, like that type of vegan. Um, so not a bad deal. Yeah, exactly. So I had some chicken the other day and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, my favorite saying is it is what you make it. You know, you can go through life and say it is what it is, but you relinquish all control over the situation when in reality, you control how you react to it. You control maybe not the situation, but you maybe control how you are handling that situation, whether you're angry or upset. In my case, hangry, you know, like, so you control all that. And it ties perfectly into today we're in First Peter. We're in chapter three. We're going to pick it up in uh, verse 13. So last week, just to recap, we talked about husbands and wives. We talked about this whole idea of, it's, you know, it said wives submit to your husbands, husbands live with your wives. And, and we talked about what that meant. And it really boiled down to two huge principles that exist in a marriage that when done in a godly way, as God desires, after God's own heart, can really have a healthy marriage. And that's love and respect. Love and respect. How do you actively love and respect your spouse, right? So we talked about last week, you know, wives. If, you're, if you submit onto your husband, that means it doesn't mean you're doing everything he says because God says, look, you got to do what's right. You got to follow God first. You got to be after God's own heart. But it means, you know what? Your husband has a designed role to be a leader. How do you help him out? How do you love that part of him? How do you respect that part of him? 
let's be honest, ladies, sometimes you got to give us a little nudge in the rear end in the right direction. That's God loves, God loves, God respects. Sometimes you just got to help us out. Men, we talked about living with your wife, not just being a roommate. We talked about being understanding and we talked about not putting your wife in situations, not letting her go through burdens that God didn't design her for. How do you step up and be a leader, men? You know, how do you really step up and be a leader? Because odds are, if there's something going on in your marriage, you probably have to look at how you're leading your marriage. Love and respect. We talked about that last week, unpacked that a lot. This week, we get to talk about, you know, positivity, enthusiasm, excitement. I don't know if you guys know me very well. If you haven't gotten a chance to talk to me, I'm a pretty excitable person most of the time. You know, I mean, sometimes I drag my feet around and I'm tired and not very chipper and, you know, the sky's falling down. That's a joke. Yeah, it's not ever like that. I know. It's, it's a curse. It's a curse. But, uh, but, but uh, I'm a pretty enthusiastic guy. Like, I get excited about everything. Like, uh, I think one time I was preaching, I told a story that there were two kids and it was Christmas time. They each got a present. And one kid, you know, they were like, hey, this, this kid is always so negative. So we really want to spice up their life and let's get them something awesome, right? So one kid, they got, they got everything. They got the big present that that kid wanted. Teenager, 16 years old, got a brand new car, right? The first thing they said is, it's not the car I wanted, right? The second kid is always positive, And they said, I know we can, you know, mess with them and do something. So they got them a, a, a box of horse manure, right? Horse poop. The kid opens it up and says, oh my gosh, this is great. They're like, what do you mean this is great? You got a box of horse manure. And they're like, oh, it's not horse manure. This is unicorn poop. And where's the unicorn? <laughs> they were so excited. They were so excited. I'm that kid. Hi, how are you? My name's Josh. I'm highly annoying at 7 a.m. in the morning when you're waking up and I say, it's a great day. It's a beautiful day. The sun is out. So I'm out and let's have a great day. It's often feedback that is on my, um, you know, annual feedback report, appraisal. Uh, hey, Josh, it's great, but uh, 7 a.m. is not so great. Tone it down, you know. Even, even your phone alarm now gently rolls into the loudness that you need to wake up. But, uh, you know, kind of going back to the vegan thing, it's a choice, isn't it? Isn't positivity a choice like looking at the bright side, seeing the glass half full, it really is a choice. And it's something that, it's a fight really. Maybe a choice is not a good word, but it's a fight. Because we are going through things all the time. When sometimes in the grand scheme of things, they're this small. And sometimes we feel like in the grand scheme of things, they're ginormous. But we're always going through things. And depending on what we're going through, that fight Sometimes pretty easy, and sometimes, sometimes it takes it out of you. Sometimes, you, I mean, you know it because those are the fights that you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep. Those are the fights when you're sitting there and you're wondering, hey, how am I going to pay the utility bill? You're sitting there thinking like, man, I'm hungry right now, but I need to wait till I get home so I can make me a sandwich. I forgot my lunch. There's people that fight that every day. What about the fight of, you know what, I can't do anything to help them be better, to make them better, and I know they're making the wrong choice, but I, I can't say anything. They don't listen. I, I, it ends up in an argument. 
feels like it tears you apart, right? It's crazy. Positivity, though, seeing that silver lining, it's a choice. So today we get to see what Peter talks about. You know, how do you, how do you be excited? How do you have a little positivity? How do you have some hope in the midst of all this suffering? You know, suffering is it's such a unique word because suffering, when you think about it, it has this idea that, that something has happened and now you're in pain, you're hurt, physical, mental, emotional, something is going on, you're suffering. Um, and the crazy thing about suffering is it, it indicates something that's prolonged, right? If you suffer, it's not like, ow, that hurt. No, if you're suffering from something, it's a little more prolonged. So... You know, here's the thing in life. We're going to go through things that hurt us, and we're going to go through things that really make us suffer. And what we've got to see is, while one may last a little bit longer, in the eyes of God, it still has a beginning and an end, right? All right, so now we get a crack in the Bible. So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Peter 3. If not, we got it up here. Isn't that cool? I love having that stuff up on the screen. Helps me read so much better. All right, so it says in, uh, we're going to start in chapter 13. It says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Stop, pause, hold the phone. I think that's a logical question for anybody to ask. Peter's going to go on to make a point here. But if we stop and just look at that, he's saying, hey, you know what? If you're out to do good, who's going to hurt you? Who's going to cause you any pain if you're out to do something good, you know? You notice somebody has a flat tire on the road, so you're a good Samaritan. Let me just, you know, let me help them out, right? Who's going to hurt you? Who's going to cause any pain? It makes sense. It's a logical question. Um, there's a lot of things that go into this, and I think you're going to see that Peter makes a point. When you're zealous for what is good, picking up in verse 14, it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled nor be troubled. So Peter's making a point here saying, hey, you know what? You're going to get hurt sometimes. You're going to suffer sometimes when you're trying to do the right thing, when you're doing what is good. You're going to get hurt sometimes. So here's what I think Peter understood. I think he understood that everybody's different. I think he understood as humans, we're created unique, right? We don't have the same personalities. We're not clones. We're not little robots, but we're unique and we have different stories. And our stories are shaped by how we were raised, who raised us, um, if your parents were together, if they were divorced, if they were present, if they were not present, um, how much money was in your parents' bank accounts, what area did you live in, what schools did you go to? Your story's different. What did your parents talk about when they were around you? Your story's different. So as Christians, when we try to do the right thing and we try to do what's good in the sight of God, because we don't have the same story as everybody else, or because, wait, we have a God that says, hey, ha ha, plot twist, right? You may have a story and it may be an utter train wreck, but we have a God, he says, plot twist, right? Plot twist. Because maybe somebody doesn't have a story that has experienced that plot twist, they don't understand exactly Hey, you know, why did you do that? You must have done that for a different reason. It wasn't out of the goodness of your heart. You just wanted to be, you wanted everybody to see that you were okay and you were good and that you're, you know, you're so great. Oh my gosh. 
Here's the thing we all have in common. We may have different stories, but guess what? We're all human. We're all born into this thing called sin. And being born in sin, it means we struggle with things like jealousy. We struggle with things like envy. We struggle with things like gratification. We want to feel important. We want to feel valuable to someone somewhere. Uh, we, have this, we have this feeling that, you know, of worth, right? Self-worth. You want to do something and you want to be told you did a good job. That's happened when we were kids. How many times did you guys, uh, when you were a kid, you had a chore and then you would go get your mom and dad and say, look what I did, right? Got a, a real-time story. Uh, it happens to me all the time as an adult. During quarantine, I started like trying to do woodworking, I was like, you know what, I, I want to try. It's exciting. It's something that always intrigued me, but I never had any time to like develop it, nor did I believe that I had the patience. Um, I'm a very fast-paced person, very excited person. As you guys have already found out, I'm a very fast talker. <laughs> you know, patience doesn't come easy for me. But I, I don't know about you guys, but I get, I get consumed into things. And... You know, Peter, he talks about this question of who, who, you know, who would come against you, who would hurt you, who would cause suffering if you're trying to do what's right. Hey, you know what? I think of it kind of like my woodworking. Sometimes I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to figure out how to do it. So I'm a person that gets consumed by it. I watch YouTube videos. Hey, how to do this. I read websites. I ask questions, a bazillion questions. And then when I get the finished product, so like different shelves that I have that I've made and put in the house, I made a kitchen table and some benches. I get so excited. I'm like, Ashley, come look, come look. And, and I get really excited. And, you know, she is so nice because she'll be like, oh, it looks great, honey. Even though, I mean, our kitchen table has a gap in it like that big. Like, it's that big. And I'm like, how did that happen? It wasn't like that yesterday. But she's so nice because she won't ever say anything about it. She always loves it, right? She always loves it. And I think Peter realizes that even though we mean so much good and we pour ourselves into something so much, when it comes out to being shown, when it comes out to affect or impact others, that Based upon their story, they may see things from a different vantage point. And that vantage point may not always match ours. For example, I love my wife dearly. And if the first thing out of love she would have done is say, oh, you know what? I like the color of the stain, but did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? I probably would have felt instantly like a little deflated, you know? I felt a little deflated. She didn't mean it but it hurt a little bit. It would have. And I think sometimes, depending on what's going on in the situation, jealousy, envy, maybe this, this idea of worth and, and these different motives behind it may be interpreted by others based upon their story. And I think Peter's hitting on that here, saying, hey, you know what? As Christians, we always want to try to do the right thing. We want to pursue God first. We want to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, what is righteous. But sometimes it might not feel so good. 
It might not feel so good. So let me ask you this. It's probably pretty easy to help people and do something right for somebody that you like, right? What about that person at work that you know said something the other day about you behind your back, right? What about that person that has made the same bad decision 20 times in a row and you have this mentality of, they got to learn sometime, let them learn on their own. Everybody else is trying to help them. They won't listen. They'll figure it out themselves. I don't think God called us to make judgment. I think God called us to love first. And I think Peter's pretty clear here is when we're zealous to do what's right. Zealous is another word for dedicated, devoted, committed, enthusiastic, passionate. That doesn't sound like conditional words to me. To do what is right, to do what is good. And this comes to that part of suffering. If you ever have a kid that kind of goes off the path, that's a lot of suffering. It's a lot of suffering. If you ever have a parent that becomes uninvolved, that's a lot of suffering. If you ever go to work with somebody and you've seen them in a great place in life and then two or three years later, here they are, that hurts. It's a lot of suffering. And it impacts you, it impacts them. If you ever go through a sickness, maybe your health, Maybe physically, you know, we're all not as young as we were yesterday. We have that in common. Things change. And sometimes we have that suffering. But it is a fight for positivity that goes on. And it's a fight for that where Peter is saying, hey, it's not all about seeing rainbows and lollipops. It's about knowing that God has a plan. And that even if we suffer because we're doing the right thing, it's better than doing something that's not. It's better than being deceitful. It's better than doing something for your personal gain that doesn't fall into what God has called for you or them. It's better. It's God's plan. So, you know, this part in verse uh, 14, it says, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. I think it's really interesting that Peter chose to put that after he mentions if we're zealous to do what is good. See, when I read that, I look at it and say, hey, you know what? God has all these blessings he wants to give us, and he wants us to go and love on other people and share our story. You know, like woodworking, right? You know, I don't want to make a kitchen table and hide it in the garage. I want to make a kitchen table and see my family enjoy it. I want to make a kitchen table and see my four kids and myself and my wife sit around and laugh and play games and share meals. God is saying, I didn't send my son. Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins so that we could hide ourselves. So that we just decided, hey, you know what? We're just going to sit back and we'll let all these things happen in the world. You know, I think, uh, I think it was a quote by Bob Marley. You know, he said, hey, evil doesn't take a day off and neither should we. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. I don't know. But my point is, you know, the devil's not going to take a day off. And I got news for you. There's a whole lot more of us than there is of him. And I got a second newsflash for you. 
I think we already won the battle, right? We already won the war. We just got to claim it every day. We just got to claim it every day. And sometimes the biggest battle is this one right here. Oh, God, I'm doing things right. I'm trying to do it right. Why am I going through this? I got news for you. That negativity, that thing that's getting drawn out of your head, putting you in a place that you, you shouldn't have been, that's not God. That's not of God. It says right here, Peter says, God, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. It means we got to be active. We got to get out and do the work. If we want to be blessed, we can't be Christian couch potatoes. We can't hide behind the screen, you know. We've got to get out and we've got to get active. And sometimes it'll blow up in our face. If you're like me, you've definitely done something in the past where you've helped somebody and you've done things that, you know, you've really extended things out for people. There was one situation where there was somebody that was really close to me and Ashley. We loved them dearly. We brought them into our house. They stayed into our house. And uh, with the kids, you know, we lived there. And it was a great thing. But it didn't change anything. It didn't change anything. And, uh, you know, when we look back at that, we're thinking like, you know, what, it, what, what good was that? It flatlined, right? It started out really good. And then all of a sudden, our little good chart where, hey, you know what? We're building a relationship with this person. We're really helping them out. They're going to church with us. We're seeing really cool things. And then all of a sudden, what happens? What note is that? <laughs> but, but it flatlines. But what I want you to see is God is not concerned with the results of your righteous deed. It doesn't say, hey, you know what? If you suffer and you'll be blessed for doing what is right, even if you suffer, as long as it meets this criteria. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, hey, you know what? You don't save anybody. Let's get that clear. Jesus saves everybody. So guess what? You just need to open the door. You need to help me soften the heart and let Jesus do the rest. You know what? That text message. Hey, you know what? Church is this Sunday. You want to come? Hey, you know what? We're going to Mama Julie's August 23rd. Afterwards, we're going to have a catered lunch, and there's going to be baptisms. You want to show up? Free food. We're going to dunk people in the water. It'll be fun. It's an invitation. And who knows what could happen with just a simple invitation. It doesn't matter how small and it doesn't matter how big, but God will bless those who are zealous to do what is good. And this whole flatlining thing, it, it leads you to this thing. Because listen, I, I, I want to be truthful. I'm a very positive guy, but positivity is not going to solve everything. If your house is on fire and you're in the middle of it and you're like, it's going to be okay. I'm a lot warmer now. It's December. It's going to be a great thing. That doesn't change the fact that your house is going to be in fire and tomorrow it won't be there, right? Positivity is great. Here's what I want to show you. Did you guys know that there's a difference between positiveness and optimism, right? Oh, those words. Wait a second, Josh. I thought those were the same thing. I did too. But 
positivity and optimism are way different. You know, a positive person, you know, they can see. We, get, we say the wrong word, I think, is what happens. A positive person says, hey, yeah, the glass, it's half full. A negative person says it's half empty. An optimistic person doesn't necessarily say the glass is half full. The difference is the optimist, they see the situation. Hey, the glass is half full. It's half empty, however you want to say it. You can say the glass is half empty and still be an optimist. But here's the kicker. The optimist says, I can fit more inside. Hey, you know what? The glass is half full. I can fit more in now. Hey, the glass is half empty. I can fit more in. That's the optimist. Sounds a lot like hope, doesn't it? Here's the best way I can describe it. If you take positivity and you take hope and you put it in the blender, it's going to look a lot like optimism. It's what it's going to look like. It's what it's going to look like. That's the difference. So if positivity is your daily fight, optimism is your lifetime struggle. If positivity is your daily fight, optimism is your lifetime struggle. Because it's not about if it's okay while the house is on fire. Hey, you know what? I'm warm right now. It's about, hey, you know what? Maybe God took that house away because he knew that in his blessings, there was an upgrade coming. Maybe it wasn't a bigger house, but it was what you needed. Right? There's a big discrepancy sometimes in what we want and what we need. And God provides for us. He is the provider and he will take care of our needs. And sometimes we got to look at, you know, maybe that guy or girl broke up with you. Maybe that marriage wasn't able to be reconciled because maybe God knew something better had to come. And sometimes when we are out for righteousness to do something good, it's not always easy. I gave the example of being vegan, right? I want to do what's good in my eyes as a husband to my wife and support her. It's not easy to become vegan if you're the only one in the house that's trying to become vegan. So I stepped up to the plate. I said, Ashley, I just did this sermon last week. I think God would get me if I didn't do this. And she said, I will pray to him and tell him every day if you don't. I said, Ashley, he'll already know. Um, so, by the way, I did get in a little bit of trouble last week because I said, I told her secret that she stands up on the chair and go get this done, get this done, get this done. I don't know who would have said anything like that. I know who said something like that. No, it wasn't you. It was the other guy. Um, but anyway, got me in a little trouble. She's like, why'd you tell everybody that? I'm like, Ashley, I can't lie while I'm up here. And she's like, well, you could have told a different story. So, um, but, but anyway, you know, when we're going with this, this optimism thing, you know, sometimes things flatline. And sometimes when we, when we go through helping people, it's not easy and it's not fun and it takes work. Because guess what? If somebody's got a flat tire on the side of the road, it's not easy work to change a tire with no jack and using that little jack in the back of the car. I mean, that thing is a joke. Becoming vegan when you don't necessarily want to and you love bacon and you love chicken and hot chicken sandwiches from City Bird, it's not exactly easy to become vegan. When you thought 31 years ago you were done eating baby food, it's not easy becoming vegan. All right, there's better recipes out there. Don't just take me for example. But anyway, 
my point is, it's not always easy to do the right thing. If you're having trouble or you don't like or necessarily care for the person, it's not easy to do the right thing. When somebody doesn't have any money and needs food and you don't have any, enough money in your bank account to make your car payment, it's not easy to say, let me buy you a sandwich. Not easy. It's not easy to say, I got to get to work. And I've got this to do at work, this to do at work, and then I got to get home and the baby needs to be changed. I can't stop to help them. I'm too busy. Sometimes doing the right thing and doing something that's good in the eyes of God, pursuing God's relationship, takes personal sacrifice. It takes work. That's what work is. You sacrifice, you give something That's what it is. It takes work. And doing the righteous thing, doing the good thing, to be zealous, committed, dedicated, passionate, enthusiasm, that takes work every day, guys. Let's be honest. I wake up with four kids, and you wake up to a baby crying, and the diaper has exploded all the way up to the shoulders. It takes work. Without coffee yet, it takes work, right? If you're working from home right now, and you've been there for three months... It takes work. It takes work. So Peter goes on. Guys, we've only been through two verses. Peter goes on. He says, "Um, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Here's the thing, as Christians, we're always gonna be under scrutiny. We're always gonna be jealousy, envy. Oh, you, got, you just think you're better than everybody else, right? How many times have we heard that, you know? Um, it's nothing new under the sun. It's just, it, it happens to everyone. You know, it's not just us. Or what about, what about envy? Well, yeah, you just, you go to that fancy church on the hill, you know. Maybe that's it. Or, oh, you have all these things. How can you be a Christian because you have nice things? There's all these different little, little voices we hear in the back that, that they don't matter. They don't matter. And what Peter is saying here is just be prepared to share your story. You don't have to command anyone to follow Jesus. You don't have to put them in a chokehold and suplex them onto the stage and say, repent. That's not an altar call, people. All right? That's not what we're called to do. What we're called to do is share our story. Because guess what? What we will find is our stories are oftentimes shared with heartbreak like others have stories that have heartbreak. Loss. Our stories may have some loss like others have, whether it's things or people. And sometimes ours is just a, a story of, you know, how do I, how do I have self-worth? You know, how do I, you know, how do I deal with this when, you know, my best friend was always had more than me, looked more, better than me, got this more than me, or my brother or my sister. Our stories have some similarities. 
But the thing is, if we're sharing our faith and we're sharing this hope that's inside of us, that optimism that, that we seem to bring to the table that people are noticing, like, hey, you know what? These things happen to this guy, this gal, and they always seem pretty up and up about it. What is going on? What's inside of them? What's that hope that I'm feeling? Guess what? You're saying, share your story. Because in your story, there's something exciting. In your story, there's a plot twist. There's a plot twist. Your story, you get to share how Jesus, all that crud that you're dealing with in your story, he came and he paid the price. And people that don't understand, well, if Jesus paid the price, then why do you have to go through this? Because Jesus is bringing us through things to teach us something so that we can minister to someone, so that we can help him to save someone's soul. Jesus didn't come and sit on a throne and say, now all the sins are taken away. He came and he was, he came as a servant. He served those around him. And if we think that he's not asking us to do some work to follow him, I think we're crazy. I think we're crazy. I think he's asking us to share our story. I think he's asking us to pursue to do what's right. And I think he's asking us to be able to take our minds. And sometimes, look, it's a bad situation. I know. And I'm not here to tell you that it doesn't matter. And I'm not here to tell you that, oh, my gosh, you just got to change the way you think about things because you're in the wrong right now. And, oh, my gosh, these little things and nutter butter and all these things. I'm not here to tell you those things. I'm here to tell you, yeah, sometimes life really stinks. It's like armpits without deodorant. It's like a 14-year-old locker room, okay? Sometimes life stinks. But what I'm here to tell you is if you can't change your situation, change your focus. Josh, I am always trying to do these good things and I don't see any blessings. If you can't change your situation, change your focus. Maybe you can't see the blessings because you're not looking for them. If you don't believe me, anybody ever shop for a car? What happens when you're looking at a car and test driving it and you're about to make a purchase? What do you see driving around you? The same car, right? I got news for you. I love you to death, and I believe this is true to my heart. But I don't think God had a whole bunch of people go buy that car to send you a sign to go buy that car. I think what you did is you've been looking at this car. You've been evaluating this car. Will it fit your kids? Will it be big enough? Does it have the headphones that you can turn on so your kids are quiet for you? Are you looking for those things? Because when you start looking for something, you start finding it. If you can't change your situation, change your focus. Are you focused on doing what's right? Are you focused on following God? None of that matters if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. How do you know what's right if you're not pursuing a relationship with Jesus? How can you be optimistic if you don't know how the story ends? So Peter goes on and he says, in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patient waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, 
eight persons were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal from dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God and angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Here's what I love here. Peter hits a home run here. And he, and he, get, he hits a home run. He says, look, Jesus came. He suffered. And he did some work. And he didn't have to do it over and over. He did it one time. He did a righteous thing for the unrighteous. Hey, you know what? That person you have a hard time loving, God is calling you to love them. Pray for them. Instead of hating your enemy, try praying for your enemy. That's what God's calling us to do. And that's a very complicated thing. But sometimes it's hard. But sometimes loving somebody is taking a step back. Because listen, if we're sharing our story, if we're trying to so help soften somebody's heart for Christ and it's becoming an argument, it's becoming a fight, nobody wins there. Nobody wins there. Doors actually shut. Suffering actually prolongs. And sometimes... Loving somebody means taking a step back. Sometimes doing the right thing is not an easy decision. And Peter goes on here saying, look, you know, Jesus paid that price and he came and he made it right. And then he goes back to say, and God, back in Noah's day, guess what? Noah had to do some work to build that boat, right? It's not like Amazon did two-day shipping, right? That's not what happened. It's not like Wayfair said, oh, you want this boat, Noah's Ark, the model, right? The eight people, two of every animal, all the compartments filled with feed and hay, and the door is going to shut automatically with this here controller, and there's actually an app for it, and Alexa can close it for you. It's not like that happened. What happened was Noah got these primitive woodworking tools, and he made a boat, and it was pretty big. It took time. And people thought he was crazy and he was trying to do what's right. But I'm pretty sure he probably got made fun of and mocked. I wasn't, back, I wasn't there back then, but I'm pretty sure people had a lot of fun with it. He was crazy. They never heard of this thing called rain. What is he talking about? What a lunatic, right? He had eight people got on that boat, right? He had a family. Think it was hard for his kids? I mean, I'm just taking it into present day. Imagine he's doing something like that and the kids go to school. What do the other kids do? Because they've heard their parents talking, right? Doing the right thing is not always easy. And suffering sometimes happens. But what I want you to see is God delivered them and God will deliver you. So sometimes if you can't change your situation, you got to change your focus. Peter ends it by reminding other confidences that, hey, look, not only did Jesus die for us, but he, he went through so that by baptism, it's not about cleaning your body. When life stinks like the 14-year-old's armpits in the locker rooms, it's not about taking them underwater, a little bit of soap and bringing them back up. That's not what saves us. What saves us is the act that baptism represents how our sins have died, had been renewed, we've been renewed, we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, 
because he paid the ultimate price so that when we go before God, God doesn't just see us in our sins, but he sees us in our Savior. That gets me real excited. I, let me say it again, because y'all don't seem excited about that. When God sees us, he doesn't see us in our sins. He sees us in our Savior. Where is Dale Taylor? He is always yelling in here, and he, the volume level. I feel bad if y'all are watching online. Let me get an amen in the comments. There you go. I say amen in the comments, and everybody hears louder. I like that. Um, you guys, that's how I know you guys have been quarantined too long. Um, <laughs> so uh, Peter reminds us of those confidences that, hey, look, Jesus came and he paved the way. And by him, we're saved. And by him, we're blessed. And it's not a us thing. It's not that where Jesus is waiting for us to save people. It's where Jesus is waiting for, by our actions, by our life, and by our story, people can see him and the doors open, the hearts are softened so that he can make a change. So all this starts with you. All it starts with me. Doesn't matter what's happening. What matters is where's your focus? Where's your focus? So this week I challenge you, how do you be zealous in your relationships? How do you be committed devoted, enthusiastic, and passionate, whether it's with your spouse, your brother, your sister, your friends, your colleagues. How do you be the person that when they look at you by your actions, by your Christian behavior, as Peter says it, they're going to see, wow, this person has a lot of hope in them. This person's pretty optimistic. You know, we're working at home. My kids are crazy. And they're like, hey, you know what? At least I get free lunch. This is great. And I'll have free lunch tomorrow. Get to spend some time with my kid. When things go back to normal, I'll probably complain that I don't get to see him as much. This is pretty cool right now. How do you be the person that sees the hope in the situation? How do you be the person that if you can't change the situation, you change your focus? And instead of looking at the bad things and the negative things and making tally marks of all the things that are going wrong, you look and say, hey, you know what? Today, this is really going on right now. It's going down. Life is tough. The tires are flat. The fuel tank is empty. The bank account is dry and my stomach is empty. Whatever it may be, I have no friends. Nobody likes me. I guess I'll eat worms. Whatever it may be, how do you look at that and say, I'm gonna choose though to see the blessings. I'm going to choose, though, instead of that, to see the opportunities that God has opened up for me. Oh, wow, um, I'm stuck at home. I don't really go anywhere. I don't have a lot to do. The person getting gas says hi to you. What a great opportunity. Somebody said hi to me. Hey, how are you? What's your name? How come, as an adult, that seems so taboo to say, hi, my name's Josh, what's your name? How come that seems so taboo? When you're a kid, it's like no big deal. When you're a kid, you don't even care about the names. You're over there sharing toys and chocolate and everything else. But when you're an adult, it's like, oh, I don't want them to know my name. Cover up your name tag, you know? But how do you look for the opportunities that God gives you? So this is your story. This story is what you make it. And if you can't change the story, how do you change the focus of the story? How do you be zealous to do what's right? 
how do you be zealous in those relationships? So uh, as we pray, the band's going to come up. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for letting us come together and just see how Peter talks about loving you and being zealous to do what's right. It doesn't matter how it happens, the impact that, that, that it has, the people that it affects. What matters is that it shares the story of Christ with others. And if we suffer, it's God's plan and it's a blessing to suffer for what God's plan is. Lord, as we go this week, I pray that we can find ways to share our story. Excuse me, to share our story. That we can find ways to change our focus. That we can find ways to simply love each other as you loved us. And to pursue what is good. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We sang this song a couple weeks ago. It's called Your Glory. And um, why I love it today is because it starts, my life is yours, my hope is in you. It just sounds like a declaration of where we are and who we are. My life is yours and my hope is in you. My heart you hold and you made this sinner holy. Like it's recognizing that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in Jesus himself, his blood washes away our sins. So let's stand up and sing this together.
thank you all for coming and worship with us today. As you leave, make sure you leave with a joyful heart. Be zealous for him this week. Let your positivity overwhelm you and those around you. And in Jesus' name, go Amen. in peace. Amen.